Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I wanted to talk to you guys about the MLB Roto Baller Challenge, hosted by our friends at Fantrax on Fantrax.com. Fantrax is the most customizable free fantasy baseball platform in the industry, and that's why we're hosting over our 2022 Roto Baller Challenge over on Fantrax. If you want the greatest fantasy experiments, sign up for a free Roto Baller Challenge team today by going to rotoballer.com backslash challenge. All leagues are free to join, and you get to compete against Rotoballer writers and readers for a shot at $500 cash grand prize. All new fo- Fantrax users get entered into a free giveaway to win a signed official MLB Wander Franco jersey. If you want to get entered to win a Wander Franco jersey and you're new to Fantrax, go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba and sign up for your free Fantrax account today. Once you have your Fantrax account, go to rotoballer.com backslash challenge to join the challenge league. But go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba to create your Fantrax account. Be entered to win a Wander Franco autographed jersey. But for now, welcome to Benched with Bubba. back everybody to another episode of benched with bubba episode 451 got some more hot stove action to talk about with a lot of fantasy impacts as free agency has gone bananas trades because two teams just don't care about baseball anymore and uh, much much more but it's also the heart of draft season so it's, it's very very important right now so i have a special guest joining me i'm glad uh, i was able to uh, get in touch with him and line this out because he's a great great uh, individual especially in the fantasy baseball community I had the pleasure of meeting him at First Pitch Arizona back in October, and I can't wait again until it's, I believe it's November this year, based on the back of the forecaster. Uh, he is the co-general manager of Baseball HQ, the co-editor of the forecaster, the one, the only, Ray Murphy. How are we doing, man? I am doing great. Thanks so much for the invite. This is going to be a ball. Yeah, it's going to be an absolute blast, and um, he, he writes at HQ, of course. You can hear him uh, usually on the uh, you guys' weekly podcast once we get in season. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff coming out at HQ. So before we get started, why don't you go ahead and let people kind of know about what they can get over at Baseball HQ. Sure, we could do that. Uh, all sorts of things. You did a great job of summarizing, but uh, you know, right now the focus is on uh, the Baseball HQ website where we are cranking out uh, fantasy content analysis on a uh, – 
boy, I don't even know if hourly basis covers it at this time of year, right? I was literally uploading uh, projection adjustments right before I uh, came on the air with you, uh, tweaking Chris Bryant to Colorado and stuff like that. Uh, but that's uh, that's where the focus is now. Uh, you know, we have uh, you know, all the tools and analysis you need for your fantasy season. Uh, HQ is the online component, and as you mentioned, the baseball forecaster is the uh, is the book form that comes it's the out gold sta- it's the gold standard like we, we don't we don't have to sugarcoat it i'm pretty sure if you if you uh if you play fantasy baseball and you don't use the forecaster well you're, you're already starting off behind let's just put it that way yeah it's a it's a funny point in the calendar i i, I appreciate the kind words there it's a funny point in the calendar where the focus does shift from the book which gets so much attention from you know the the day before thanksgiving when we drop the pdf out through january february and it, if anything it, you know given the lockout and the lack of player movement it uh you know it held up a little bit better than usual this year right um mm-hmm. but now that the uh the player movement is in full swing and everything the book still has its uses but there's no substitute for um, you know, being able to tweak a projection online and publish it right out to people. So, uh, you know, they go hand in hand and they each, uh, they each serve their purposes. And those are our, uh, the two tent poles that we're known for. Uh, of course, uh, you mentioned the place where I uh, you know, met you in person, uh, first pitch Arizona. I believe the dates are actually November 3rd through 6th this year. Uh, so we'll be back out in person at the Arizona Fall League for a, uh, you know, three and a half day weekend symposium. We watch AFL games. We talk baseball morning, noon, and night. There's even a little bit of, uh, you know, poker, beer exchange, and other kind of stuff like that yeah. uh, for the, you know, it's not, it's only 93% baseball content, um, but it, it's just a glorious weekend that, uh, you know, people do go, not just me who put it on, put it on with uh, Brent and my friends at HQ, but, you know, people who attend can't say enough good things about it. And uh, that's why we keep doing it because people love it so much. Yeah, like I've I've said it many times on the show since I went there, like between Toby and I talking about it and guests on the show that were there and everything. It's it's more than just a fantasy baseball event. It's just a baseball event. Like it's just people that love baseball because just sit at the ballpark, you kind of go and hang out with different people. You know, you have Twitter personas. We have never met in person. We don't know each other. But then all of a sudden you, you realize we all have something in common and we all love baseball. And then you go to the seminars or the little side sessions. It's just it's a it's a blast, absolute blast. So uh I told people, even if you're not like diehard fantasy baseball players you should go you really should because you will gain a ton out of it it's it's pretty darn awesome so i'm uh definitely looking forward to it this year and i think like you guys said it's in november which hopefully lines up with the fall stars this year which will be a uh, pretty pretty darn awesome that is the hope we don't usually get that confirmed until the afl schedule comes out in mm-hmm. mid-august or so but you know if the schedule follows the pattern we should get it i think so uh We'll find out for sure. But either way, you know, if yeah, you know, it worked out fine last year, Without it worked out fine. You get you get extra yeah. games if there's no Fall Stars game. Is True. the way it works out. You get a Saturday doubleheader instead of the Fall Stars game. So there's really no losing. True. And uh, I was going to ask you after at, we talked about all the players, but I'll kind of get to it because you mentioned it. So the projections. This is a a daunting task these days for anybody that does projections because, like you said, it was kind of like radio silent forever, and you're used to kind of some news coming out and ADP moving, and you're taking things as it comes out, but now it's like all just a a rush all at the same time. So how are you guys going about these projections and tweaking things? Is it just all like all hands on deck? Are you the main source of this? How's that all going for you guys? Yeah, it works a couple of different ways. I can can give you a sort of a little peek under the hood. Um, You know, there's sort of, as anybody who does dabbles in projections will tell you there's two components, right? There's the playing time and there's the performance. You can, everyone's got sort of a baseline per at bat, per plate appearance, stat line and then 
you just overlay a number of point, another number of plate appearances or innings on that, and it, and then you put those together and you get a projection, right? Um, <clears throat> the way we do it at HQ is I'm responsible for the performance component. So I'm, I I build all of the per at bat projections, and then we've got tools on the site where the writers who cover each team or each division who are closest to those teams handle the playing time allocations, and they go and you know, bump somebody from 65% playing time to 80%. And then every night we run our projections and those changes can happen automatically without me doing anything, right? So I, I don't need to, you know, the performance side hasn't changed. So I don't need to be involved in that process. That can all sort of run on its own. But when you either add a new player to the system or a player changes teams, or there's another reason to, go manually sort of put your thumb on the scale of the performance component of the, of the projection, that's where I come in. And mostly during the off season and even during the season, with the exception of the trading deadline, that's probably a, you know, once, twice a week, week task for me because there aren't that, you know, there aren't trades happening all the time. You know, if there's a waiver claim, usually those are pretty innocuous players and I can get away for a couple of days without, you know, changing Edward Olivares' you know, per- performance when he gets waived for the seventh time and picked up by another <laughs> team, right? You know, no one's really going to notice that. But right now, with the, you know, the flood of transactions we've got going on here, I'm, you know, touching projections multiple times a day, yeah. which I mean, is better than a lockout, right? Um, this, is in no, 100%. this is in no way a complaint, yes. uh, but it's uh, it's a little out of the ordinary for me. And honestly, you know, it, while, while I will again say it's not a complaint, you know, there are also other things I need to be doing. So yeah. ha- having, you know, three, four hours of, uh, you know, projection work, you know, multiple days a week, both, you know, multiple iterations a day, it, you know, they don't all, all, don't all take three or four hours, but they probably add up to that when I'm, yeah opening up the hood three, three, two, two, three times a day here. Um, hey, it's a good problem to have, but, um, you know, the sooner these guys want to sign and get us back into sort of a, you know, normal maintenance mode of the projections, I'm okay with that. No doubt about it. And that's, that's why I want to ask, because I know you guys pretty much update them like every evening. It feels like, or by the next morning, and there's like another run of projections because for those that use, uh, you know, draft software, like, uh, you know, Rotolab and everything, you you literally have to go and update it every time you log in every day because you guys have a fresh run that comes out and not all projections do that some do some do it like every couple of days or whatever but it's it's kind of fun to see like I guess I'm just a, a nerd at times with this I never thought I'd say that but I enjoy going and looking okay what's the new projection because like Jesse Winker when yep. they talk about it like you know Derek Cardi tweeted it out Rudy Gamble tweeted it out like all of their projection sites they're very smart projection guys too they dropped them tremendously for going to Seattle. And you don't usually don't see massive changes like that. Then you go to baseball HQ and you see the changes there. It's just like, for me, it's fun to kind of put, I guess, validation or some clarification beside behind certain moves as you're trying to analyze for like, as you're drafting, because we're are in the heart of draft season, we're playing baseball in like two and a half weeks, like three, maybe three weeks. So we're going to be ramping up drafts like crazy. So we got to figure these out quickly and uh, the projections are huge. That's why I wanted to ask you about it. Cause it's, um, I guess it's a thankless job at times, like you said, the three to four hours you're doing, but I know there's lots of us that are like, yeah, it's got to get done. It's, yeah, you know, hundred percent. Exactly. You know, you, hit, you actually hit on a component I didn't talk about, which is the Rotolab component. You know, when I publish projections to the website, you know, there's the nightly update that, you know, happens every night in there. 
yeah, they're usually up up on the site by about 8 a.m. And if I want to do another update during the day, I can push the button and they go out immediately. But you're right. I've, you know, for the Rotolab population that exclusively gets HQ projections and to your point, always want the latest version. Every time I hit the publish button here, I basically have to shoot an email to Merv at Rotolab. Like, hey, Merv, there's another set out there. And, you know, our projections run in the morning. Merv tends to be a night owl. So, you know, we try to, we try to keep them in sync. You know, I do stay in close in touch with him, especially at this time of year in March as we get to the weekends where, you know, he's putting out two, three updates a day. And I want to make sure that, you know, we're sort of synchronized so that someone's going to their Saturday night draft or something like that, that they, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't miss the five o'clock update because I published it at five, but Merv, Merv grabbed the latest numbers at four thirty. you know, that's, yeah. that, that that's not a good system. So we try to avoid that by uh, just staying in touch. Merv is on the email equivalent of whatever my speed dial is um, <laughs> you know, at this time of year, for sure. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I got other questions, but I know they're going to come out when we talk to these players because it'll all help with the analysis of what's going on. So in no particular order, let's t- talk about uh, moves for the last like three days. The last time I did a fantasy uh, hot stove update was, I believe, Tuesday morning. So we've got about three days worth of news here, which still fills up a whole show. So don't worry, folks. Um, we <laughs> I, have, say, I may have to order out yeah. for food for three days of moves. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. But um, Freddie Freeman, as much of a, I'm a diehard Giants fan, so this pains me tremendously. But I knew it was coming. It was pretty obvious for a long time to me, at least. Freddie Freeman goes to the Los Angeles Dodgers, and it just makes this Los Angeles Dodgers team ridiculous. Like, I guess the analysis is pretty simple. He's going to be good in L.A. But uh, um, how, how does this break down to you? Is he still like the top first baseman off the board to you? What's it maybe due to surrounding players on that Dodgers roster for you uh, from a fantasy standpoint? Yeah, that, that last component might be the more interesting part. Because from a projection point of view for Freeman himself, running him through the uh, conversion model from Atlanta to LA did virtually nothing. He lost four points of batting average. I'm looking at it here. And, you know, but you know, the model said he might've lost a little bit of counting stats too. runs and RBIs are down a bit, but I'm actually, this is one of those cases where I'm actually wondering if a second revision is in order, just because of what you were talking about, because you know, the, the team context is just so good. And I'm not sure that the part, you know, the, what, what primarily got weighted in there and dinging him a couple of RBIs and runs is the, is the park factor change from Atlanta to LA. But I'm wondering if the lineup context doesn't just completely wipe that out. So uh, that that's one where I got to go back in my next update tomorrow or uh, over the weekend and take you at another look and maybe uh maybe put a little bit back on him but it's not like he lost anything remarkable as it is and geez that you know i don't care what order you put in turner Betts, freeman you know will smith and you know bellinger could just hit seventh and see if he can figure out how to how to to hit again right no one's gonna care it's just you know i saw some comparisons online today that we're comparing this lineup to like the the nineteen ninety five Indians is like the best lineups this you know this this century or you know we in in our lifetimes and you know it seems like it's in that uh, in that neighborhood now of course they still have to go out and do it and stay healthy and all that stuff but you know they can lose they can lose a lot and still be a good offense as they tend to do so well and it's crazy like roster resource never the end all be all like I always say but. AJ Pollock's projected hit ninth. Yeah. Um, it's it's just insane what they have in that that team. I guess like the only caveats I can think of with Freeman moving to first, now Bellinger's pretty much strictly in the outfield because there was chances he'd move to first base. 
Um, with Muncie's shoulder, you knew he was pretty much DH only, but yep. you definitely takes him out of first base if that was an option. And by moving uh, Belly to the outfield, it uh, it takes you know Chris Taylor out of there. So in the end, I think Gavin Lux is the biggest loser in this deal. And yeah, that's tough. Yeah, it's tough. I like Lux a lot. I was chasing him in a bunch of drafts back in January. It does seem like, you know, the outlook is a little reduced there. You know, the other thing um, that we uh, briefly brush over that that matters a lot there is with the DH clog, especially with Muncie and now with Muncie not playing first, you know, playing first base because Freeman's there. I was super excited a month ago when we were still locked out, but they had agreed to the DH that, you know, Will Smith was going to find his way to like, you know, full-time plate appearances that he was going to, you know, catch five days a week and DH the other two and get to 550 plate appearances, just put up monster numbers. And, you know, the, at least until Muncie can get in the field, that's the, the door on that is probably shut for the moment so that's uh that's a little bit disappointing but what can you do there's just an embarrassment of riches here pretty much it's that's what the dodgers do i love watching them all season long um colorado rockies will stay in the division here chris bryant um besides the fact we don't know what the rockies ever do like they're still paying for nolan arenado they're not going to pay trevor story but let's bring chris bryant in for seven years that's confusing but uh, they brought bryant in we know coors field and uh he's Projected Bud Black said to play left field full time, which uh, basically kicks out Connor Joe and company. So, uh, what's your thoughts on Bryant and Coors Field? Yeah, the the who loses the playing time was sort of you know the the immediate thought, and I, I guess I sort of expected left field more than third base because I didn't think they would go down the path of move, bumping McMahon back to second, and you know, and then Rogers to shortstop, which I'm not sure they were that comfortable with, especially after they had just signed Iglesias. So that didn't make a lot of sense. And you remember before the lockout that, you know, we were, you know, we weren't LOL Rockies quite that hard, but you know, they did spend a lot of time trying to sort of retain their B and C list free agents, you know, st- no interest in story or gray, but boy, it's important that we bring back CJ Cron and a- Antonio Sensatella from our, for- from our fourth place team. You know, we got to make sure the core's in place. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's too good. Um, but so, you know, given they had made those events, you know, the investment in Cron and, you know, presumably they like Rogers, then, you know, it, it seemed like it was going to be left field, but, you know, but that's again, that's just till a domino falls, and it's not clear that they have a real DH solution that could be the revolving door there. It could be Cron, could be Bryant, could be McMahon. So, Bryant, I wouldn't be surprised if Bryant retains third base eligibility for, you know, for another year at least. Um, but it sounds like left field, I mean, he's going to hit there. That's, you know, from a Bryant fantasy perspective, there are, you know, there's no bad news. I, like I said, I was running the projection through the, uh, through the engine right before we came on the air and he picks up, you know, four or five home runs and, you know, 15 RBIs, that kind of thing. But the the real impact is the batting average because of that, you know, that expanse in the outfield. It's like for us, it was 17 points of batting average or something, which is just, you know, that just, that just makes a difference really quickly. So, you know, all good news for Chris Bryant and Hey, if you're a Rockies fan, they're more fun to watch with Chris Bryant. I, I tweeted something today that said, I think the real problem with this signing is that I don't think the Rockies front office thinks they're the fourth or fifth best team in the NL West the way they actually are. But, you know, that's a problem for another day. That's not a fantasy problem. I guess if you're a fan, you at least they try to give you false hope. I don't know. I'd say it could be the Reds. 
I can, it could be worse. Hundred percent. I mean, it, <laughs> but I'm with you. I get what you're saying. Like, it's they a don't different see category it. of incompetence for sure. Bingo, bingo. That's that's so well said. And uh, Rob DiPietro's checking in. He says, "Hello, hello, young men." So Rob's watching. <laughs> hey, and, Rob. Yeah, uh, always a fan of Rob DiPietro. But um, yeah, Chris Bryant in the month of March on online D, uh, online championships. ADP is 96, but he's gone as high as 68, which I'm assuming is like the last day or two. Um, do you probably see where would you kind of I'm not a Chris Bryant guy. Now, the bag average boost in Coors Field is way more attractive to me. But um, where would you see a good landing spot ADP wise for a Chris Bryant? I think the interesting question for me that I probably need to go take a closer look at is, you know, to, to, to use the Rocky comparison, I would have him above Arenado now. And the decision point for me would probably, I probably got to take another look at him versus Riley. That's probably where I need to figure out where, how, I'm gonna, how, how I'm going to slot him, slot him in. He's behind Ramirez, Machado endeavors, but he's either right above Riley or right behind him. I would say. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny you say that because I never really considered the two. But if you give the batting average bump there in Coors Field, you're gonna get some stolen bases with with Bryant. It's a lot closer now than I think. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would have given it credit for that uh, to begin with. And if you guys at HQ want to take this one and run with it, a, a person in one of my uh, chats that I hold, it was like a year or two ago when the Rockies started really just screwing things up in the front office. He they named them the Mountain Mets. If it makes you feel any better. I like it. I like <laughs> so, it a lot. So run with that one if you'd like. Um, the Toronto Blue Jays. Like we there were rumors they were in on Freddie. They were in on J Ram. I'd still hope they'd love to make that move. That'd be awesome. But uh they went and traded for Matt Chapman, which is tremendous. We know Chapman's been having the hip injuries and other injuries that's kind of zapped his overall offensive production. There's a lot of swing and miss in, in his bat. We get it. But the glove is undeniable. And so what's your thoughts on Chapman and maybe his overall value in fantasy, but also there's a Ben Palmer pitcher list put out a great thread on how it'll benefit the pitchers. Cause so yep. many of those guys have ground. Like it's just those little things that most people don't look at. And then you see it you're like, Oh my goodness. So how do you see um, like his production and how he helps the team? I, I let me start off by saying that if we're going to call the Rockies, the mountain Mets, if the Jays get Jose Ramirez, they are the Canadian Dodgers. Okay. Fair, fair, very fair. <laughs> but th- that said on, the, on what they actually have on their roster right now with Chapman. Yeah, that was a great thread for Palmer. I saw that too with the, uh, that was the one that had the heat chart of where, where, heat where, where, were you, ground where were you yeah. ground balls. I'll go. And they were right to Chapman. Right. And, and then he, kinda... and then he had another one on that. If you go, if I think it was like two more tweets down, it had all the other four starters and it's almost, it's not as in depth, but almost all, the same it was crazy i, I was gonna that was the next thing i was gonna say was yeah. you know i can only imagine that the ryu chart looks exactly the same for mm-hmm. kikuchi now right too yep. so you know that makes a ton of sense and you know on the jays roster it, you know it's just such a perfect fit because he didn't think they were really going to play both santiago espinal and kevin bgo with second yeah. and third right so now yeah. those guys can go over to second base and duke it out there and bat ninth and not worry about it and you know this lineup that you know i was talking with uh patrick david on our uh, on, on our show, Baseball HQ Radio, um, this week too, and we were, you know, Chapman. You're talking about what the projection does for him. You know, say, it's the same kind of thing as we saw. You know, it's not as ex- ex- expansive on batting average as Bryant's move to Colorado was, but you know, he picks up three or four home runs going from Oakland to Toronto. Chapman does, and but really, the question there is health and. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to, you know, after playing with the hip for a lot of last year, we got to see what condition he's in. But, you know, 
offensively, I'm not sure the Jays are that concerned, right? I mean, he's been back seventh, and as long as he, you know, does the uh, vacuum cleaner routine over at third base and pops pops some home runs and stays in the lineup, you know, they got other guys to do the thumping. Yep. No doubt about it. Does it move up the pitchers at all for you, or is it more just like, this is cool, maybe like a few picks, or is it like a, a massive jump for you at all? Uh, it's not a massive jump, but just because of the division context, you know, that it's just such a scary place still um, to, 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 uh, to deal with. And it may, you know what, maybe it does for the lefties a little bit, maybe, you know, I, I've been sort of offering you, we had a conversation at uh first pitch Florida, which online, which we did a couple weekends ago, I think it was, uh, we were talking to Derek Van Riper and uh, he said, he, he said like, yeah, you guys put a down on Ryu in the forecaster, which is like, you know, just like basically writing in red ink, do not draft. And like, and, you know, it was just a reminder that, you know, he was joking with us about like, you know, how much weight that carries when we actually like stick mm-hmm. our neck out on the downside. And, you know, maybe that, you know, is looking a little bit uh, overly pessimistic in this context because the team is so good because the defense is so good. And he, He's such a beneficiary of Chapman, but you know, he's going to be terrifying every time, you know, they face the Yankees, Red Sox or Rays, which is what 70 times. Well, let's speak about that for a second. So most of these guys are, there's good, like chunks of teams, not going to Toronto. There's going to be, apparently the Mets and Yankees for some act can't go play on their own stadium yet. The opposing teams non-vaccinated, but I don't want to get the politics of this part, but <laughs> we're going to be missing players potentially in games and that could change by tomorrow morning, of course, yeah. like a lot can change. But for now, say you are drafting, does that bump them down a couple rounds for you? Or are you just like, you know what, co- like cooler heads or smarter people will prevail by the time we get going on this? I, Yeah, it's, th- it's, it's interesting <laughs> how, how to think about this, like because it's come up in a couple of contexts. Like, yeah, there was a. There, there was a bunch of talk about the Red Sox. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Boston guy, and, you know, the Red Sox obviously had some issues last year with not being vaccinated. And, you know, there were some concerns about um, who would be able to go to Toronto and New York and who wouldn't. Xander Bogarts came out and said this week that he is vaccinated now. He was one of the ones who was not last year. So that kind of eased the concern. Now, oh, then Chris Sale got hurt. He's not vaccinated. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about him He can't pitch anyway, so who cares? Yeah. Um, but then, you, you know, if you take it to the, to the New York context, which I think is the more – Crazy um, it's like three, half a crazy, crazy and also flexible yeah. i you know i try to apply logic to these situations i don't understand how the yankees could give anthony rizzo 32 million dollars if they didn't know he could play in yankee stadium that's a very good point <laughs> now yes. that, that i i don't know if that means he's vaccinated and just being super coy about it or if they just know they're going to hand the mayor a suitcase of money and have this taken care of yeah. but one way or the other i gotta believe that the new york problem is going to be solved at least for anthony rizzo because you know it, it, anthony rizzo, they gave anthony rizzo a pile of money and, and you know Aaron Judge needs to play for them. I, 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 one way or the other, the New York situation must be flexible for the Yankees to have made that commitment. Now, the counter to that, the counter to that is everything I can read on the Canadian situation is that that is not flexible at all, and that is not changing. So, yeah, everyone, you're going to have a lot of four day NFBC lineups or whatever where you're. Guys are going to Toronto, and they might be, it might as well be like Nelson Cruz going to an NL park in 2019, right? True. You're just going to sit him down, and he's not getting on the plane, and you're going to have to pick up a reserve because I think that's going to be how it plays out. I don't think that's going to change. But the New York thing seemed like it would be 
more impactful because they couldn't play at all. And there are two teams there and all of those things. And I, I just, it seems to me like the Yankees think that's going to work out and have put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, I think I'm kind of uh, with you on that one because like when that came out and the Toronto thing came out, I'm sitting there going, okay, we just went through a lockout. We're talking about, you know, integrity of the game. We want all these even playing fields. Why don't they just move these teams to Florida then? And they're in yeah. like we did with Dunedin. Like if it's that big of a deal, you think, but no one's like flinching about this. So like you said, maybe there's way more to it that at least the New York thing gets figured out. Maybe Canada does by then. Who knows? I doubt it doesn't sound like it, but we'll see. Um, it's just crazy to me to think that that's where we are right now after everything we've been through. But um, yeah, those are the breaks. So I guess the biggest thing I'd say is you don't have to maybe push guys down your draft board, but maybe don't stack a lot of ALE players. Yeah, that's a fair way to look at it. <laughs> uh, don't, don't do a lot of stacking. And, you know, I think there's also an argument for, um, you know, being mindful of it in your bench construction too. And some of your, you know, paying attention to some of your, how you're allocating your multi-position guys and how you're using your bench slots and making sure that, you know, you can, you know, we all got used to in certainly in 2020 and even last year, the, you know, random COVID IL appearances and having to juggle our rosters all over the place. And let, you know, you may want to retain a little bit of the mindset that you went through with that because yeah, that was a headache. It's not going to be as bad. We hope, but it's not going away altogether either. Yep. As Rob DiPietro says, I know a guy who knows a guy. He said, draft New Yorkers with confidence. <laughs> I can just picture him in his his uh, in his accent saying that as well. Um, Leave the Philly draft the New Yorkers exactly. He's going to hang out with Modica and the boys, and they're going to be talking at the draft table. Um, the Phillies they made a big splash. I, this one kind of surprised me. I knew Schwarber was getting shopped around, but they brought Schwarber in to that beautiful ballpark for his left-handed swing, and uh, they gave him a good pile of cash too. To, so they're going to play him pretty darn regularly, either at DH or in the outfield. This has to be quite the boost to Schwarber, at least in my opinion, because there's a lot of other landing spots that actually obviously wouldn't have been so good. So what's your thoughts on Schwarber in Philadelphia? Yeah, a great landing spot. You know, I really enjoyed the heck out of him in Boston for the second half of last year. And, you know, I have every expert, you know, I was on him even before knowing where he was going to land and I would fully expect him to just rake, um, you know, on the flip side of the coin, the, uh, Dave Dabrowski seems to have just completely eschewed defense. So, you know, it may, this may not be good news for uh, the Aaron Nola rebound fan club, um, <laughs> that, that sort of thing, because the, uh, the, the apparently the poor defense will continue until morale improves or something. That's okay. He plays the outfield. If it's a fly ball, it's gone on Nola anyway. So it's okay. It's not Fair. that big a deal. <laughs> um, you mentioned Anthony Rizzo a second ago. He heads to the to the Bronx there, and you know the time there last year was kind of up and down. But his last couple seasons have been up and down. Like it's it's one of those profiles when you go look at the end stat line, it wasn't like crushing, but it felt like if you rostered him every week, you're just like, where's Anthony Rizzo? Like what's going on here? Um, so what's your thoughts on him coming back to New York, and what's going on with Luke Voigt? Yeah, Rizzo coming back to New York is interesting. I thought the structure of the contract was interesting. This isn't necessarily a, you know, hot fantasy take, but he got two years, sixty million each year. But he got an opt out after the first year, and it's that the first thing that came to mind when I saw that is he wants to get back on the market when the shift is banned, yep. and uh, you know because he's been you know traditionally one of the guys who really gets gets wrecked by that. And sure, for this year, Yankee Stadium is a great place for him to hang out and try to jerk balls into the short 
short porch. If he puts up a reasonable year, it looks like, you know, he's got some mileage left, some mileage left and a couple, he can go back on the market and get a multi-year deal from somebody who's thinking that there's a, uh, there's a no shift bounce for him in 2023. My, my counter argument, my longer term concern there is he's obviously got a history of back problems and, you know, you know, he, I'm a lot older than 32, but I'm old, but I'm old enough to know that back problems don't get better from age 32 on. So, uh, you know, I, I I think that casts a shadow over sort of the entire outlook here. And then you, and you never know when you, you talked about how he disappears for stretches. You never know when it's a couple of weeks of I slept on my back wrong in St. Louis, and you know the last three weeks I've been kind of dragging my ass around since. And yeah. he's not going to tell you that, but you know when he goes quiet for a couple of weeks at a time, I'm always wondering if that's what happened. And you know, I, I think that's the rest of his career at this point. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm approaching the the uh, the old forty turn in life, and um, yeah, back problems don't go away at all yeah. they do not you wake up every day and you know they're there and then they remind you throughout the day that they're there so they do not leave at all um say suzuki the cubs this one surprised me as well because like all the rumors for like three or four days san diego san francisco maybe boston san diego and then he goes and signs with the cubs so i think it was obviously he was looking for the best cash amount i'm assuming because he wants to you know, cash in it makes sense but uh, he's going to play every day in the, the the friendly confines over there. So any uh, thoughts on Seiya Suzuki, who we're all obviously just speculating because nothing ever transitions perfectly from uh, overseas to here. Yeah, we. Th- this is one of those things, talking about our projections, uh, as we were at the top of the show, normally in a sort of quote-unquote regular year, I probably would not have put up uh, any projection for Suzuki until he signed with somebody. Um, but, you know, it, it, given where his ADP was during the lockout and given how sort of obvious it was when he didn't go back and resign in Japan when the lockout got kicked in, it was clear that he wanted to come. So uh, if he was willing to wait out the lockout, then he was clearly going to sign on the other side of it. So I threw up a projection for him in you know, late January or something like that. And not knowing what to do, I put up a park neutral projection for him. And it actually, that projection, which was um in place for you know six or seven weeks actually went down a tick the other the other night when i converted it over to the cubs so he's now i think i had him at 21 home runs before not knowing where he was going to win now he's at 19 he's got eight stolen bases we've got him hitting 255 but that's all like you said there there are wide error bars on those because it seems like first of all we don't have enough sample size of guys coming over let alone at different ages different profiles to figure out you know what good what really good conversion factors are for these and you know then you get into the fact that they're all individuals and all of the cultural things to come along with it and with the pitchers you talk about the different size ball and the six-man rotation and all that stuff it's you know it it, it's apples and oranges. They, they call them both baseball, but you know, in some sense, the similarities end there, right? So yeah. we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. It's an interesting landing spot for them. It's a lot of money, but you know, the Cubs had tons of money to spend, but are not trying to win now. So it seems like you know, making a five-year commitment to a twenty-seven-year-old fits their time horizon more than some of the other things they could have done. And it puts butts in seats because now you yep. got a name that people can come see. It's not like you went and, you know, signed Corey Dickerson and some other guys. No offense to Corey totally. Dickerson, who's, an, who's probably an avid listener to the show. But, <laughs> um, but you know, you get Say Suzuki, that's a lot of jerseys you can sell. There's a lot you could do with that. You could have, you know, 
Japanese Heritage Night. There's all kinds of stuff you yep. could go. And it's because someone was asking me, because it makes sense, you know, San Francisco, San Diego, there's a lot of cultural diversity in these cities. It makes sense. But for those that have been to Chicago, um, there's a ton there as well. A ton. Sure. So it's it's probably the best Midwest location for him to go to in the grand scheme of things. So I could see it being a lot of uh, – it was a, a business move more than a baseball move, I have a feeling, for the Cubs is the way <laughs> I see this one playing out. But I'm looking forward. I hope he does well. I, it sounded, it, I, we could use a new Ichiro type out there. I'd be, I'd be all for it. So it'd be, it'd be fun to see. I, w- I was having as you were talking about the, um, you know, the marketing aspect of it. I sort of remember prior success with um, Japanese players with the Cubs. Was it Fukudome who you know, really was not get, that good a that player? That sounds but about was, right. Yeah, was not really that good a player, and I don't mean to equate him to Suzuki in that way. He wasn't super productive or anything, but I remember him being quite popular in Chicago oh, yeah. in the you know in the pre. Epstein rebirth, you know, lovable losers, Cubs kind of mode. So, you know, there's, you know, there's some history of that there too. Uh, again, he'll probably be a very popular player because, you know, who, there aren't that many other guys to root for on this team either. So, you know, they've kind of uh, cleared the deck for him. Definitely. Most definitely. Let's go to the Royals. Talking about a guy kind of a couple more years left in that arm. I have a feeling is Zach Ranky, who, uh, you know, the, the strikeouts dropped tremendously last year. He was getting it done with just kind of his, I call it, I'll just say moxie. He was just making it work, low four ERA. It was nothing flashy, but he has eight innings for the Astros. He's going to do that very well for the Royals. He's going to mentor a very young staff. I thought it was a great move for the team to have him there, and it's and it's a small market, which we know Granke loves, all these things. Um, his ADP is around 310 in the month of March. Is I just avoided him, but is there any interest in a guy like Granke who will eat up a lot of innings and maybe can find another – couple you know another year under his belt back in uh, kansas city yeah you know i think you're exactly right on again i was talking with uh my guy patrick davitt this afternoon about this and we came down and roughly the same place as you did i he he criticized me for uh being a little disparaging and comparing him to the um the old um, spitballer from Major League who's out there on the yep. mound. The, the Vaseline and Crisco. Crisco in his back pocket. The whole thing, you know. Patrick thought uh, that was disparaging, but I thought it still kind of got Pretty accurate, I bet. <laughs> you said uh, Moxie. I, I I backed off the Vaseline and said Guile, but, you know, yeah. same, same, same thing. thing. And, yeah. you know, but you're exactly right. You know, in addition to how comfortable he's going to be there just from familiarity and loving the market and the size of it and what he can teach the young guys there about, you know, he's notorious for, you know, the level of preparation and film watch he does and he can pass along some of that on top of all of that, when you've got this young staff that the Royals have that they want to protect, they need innings. And the great thing about Granky, whether even though he's slopping it up there at 87, for a 39-year-old, he's still been very, very durable. He threw 170 innings last year. Guy never goes on the IL. He never, you know, never has a rotator cuff problem. Never pulls a muscle. You know, he'll they'll run him out there every fifth day, and there's a pretty good bullpen behind him. He'll take the ball and you know let them and you know live with their innings caps on Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer and Carlos Hernandez and Asa Lacy if he's up later in the year or whatever. It may it makes all the sense in the world. And yeah, sure, 
probably more interested in the fantasy value than I was somewhere else because he'll go out there and, you know, his K per nine may be terrible, but his raw strikeout total may not be bad. And guess what? We play raw strikeouts, not K per exactly. nine. Things, right? His raw strikeouts will be good. If he's like going around pick 310, he's like, he might be a bench starting pitcher for you. Sure. He might not even be one of your. So literally, you get to say, oh, hey, we're going to start versus the Indians this, or Guardians this 100%. week. 100%. Like, like he's going to great division for matchups in yep. that regard as well. So, it's not like the old days where you had to make that decision. You see my SP4, like pick 120 or something. It's it's a different animal where in, in, in a bench SP with an ERA of like 4-1 is pretty darn good, actually. Yep. Because most guys you stream are in the fives. And so that's why I've kind of come around on it. I think this is a, one of the better landing spots he could have had. I think it's Yeah, you're, really you're exactly spot. right. I think our projection is around 4-1 or something like that. But that's the full season projection. You, yeah, like spot you said, him. You, yeah. you spot start him and you'll get a 3-5 out of him in 15 starts across the Central and in Oakland. And you sit him in Boston, New York, and Toronto, and Tampa. And you know, mm-hmm. you're getting good mileage out of him. I think there's – you know for the guys at the end of your bench like that, you mm-hmm. want to have – some utility for when you know you're going to be able to use them either because a good divisional context or a rocky starter you can use on the road or you know somebody you know a miami starter who can you know you, you can pitch at home with confidence you want some you know portion of their season where you know they're going to be attractive to use and you got that with granky most definitely um, another issue we have because of the wonderful lockout we experienced for 99 whole days is medical news is coming out in bunches and um, it's been like, you know, the free agent stuff's been fun, but some of this medical news, including Fernando Tatis Jr., who had a broken wrist. And when someone asked, well, what, like, which motorcycle accident, he says, or no, he said, he said, which one? So he's had more than one, which should be terrifying. And uh, he needs to go talk to Jeff Kent about being quiet for your contract's sake. But um, he actually had surgery on Wednesday. He went under the knife, got it repaired around three months, give or take. And then you hope his power comes back and everything. He's uh, I'm not drafting him. Let's put it that way. So how are you looking at Fernando Tatis Jr.? I wasn't drafting him before this. Yeah, neither was his shoulder scared me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah shoulder scared me. And, you know, like, this is not me taking a victory lap, but I was scared. And, you know, the worst has already happened. You know, I people who point out that he's been an incredible healer from his past injuries. That's entirely fair. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he beats three months and comes back and gives us a, you know, vintage two thirds of the season. But, you know, I I think his ADP is still falling. I don't think it's found bottom yet. And, yeah. you know, it's no, it's not yet in a range I'm even remotely interested, but I'm generally not somebody who's going to hang a, you know, top 100 pick on a guy who I know is out for two months anyway, no matter what he's going to do when it comes back. I wasn't on Acuna either, and now Acuna is, you know, a month ahead of Tatis in terms of timeline. Yeah, and uh, in the last couple of days, he's gone as low as pick 99 in drafts. So he's starting Sorry, to fall. It's reasonable, I could see. I told someone, I think, uh, earlier this week, I said, if you're in a like a draft champions, I can see the appeal because yep. you can go draft extra shortstops and then you can bring, you have 50 roster spots and you can bring him back in like July, hopefully, and then enjoy that. But then a redraft is tough. And someone, I can't, I, I forgive me, whoever it was, mentioned uh, when he came back from the shoulder injury last year, I think he only attempted like, four or five stolen bases or something, something crazy where you're drafting him really thinking he's this 20 stolen base guy and he just might not be right now. So keep that in mind also. That's the problem with having such a broad base of skills is, you know, you start, you start, there's a lot of skill to lose, right? Most definitely. A lot of skills to lose. And here is probably healing quickly because he's young. But um, let's remember that folks. 
Uh, Jack Flaherty, he's not healing. He went for for a second opinion on his shoulder, and if the first one's not good, that's usually not that's that's why you ask for a second one, folks. <laughs> so just remember that one. Just remember they don't ask for a second one when the first one's good. Um, again, these aren't victory laps, but I've had like a hardcore list of guys that were injured. And I didn't know news. I kind of just I wasn't dealing with, and so I have zero Flaherty. Thank goodness, but um, definitely not drafting him now. Yeah, I also have zero Flaherty, and it wasn't even that I was that concerned. I could I could have talked myself into being being interested. It was just that I very much liked the guys who were around him in the same ADP range. Fair, Not, fair, you know, fair. from a you know, it, it wasn't even from a you know Flaherty's off my list. It was just that there were other guys who I liked better, and I was getting a lot of you know he was. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now, but he was in that or near that tier with Montas and Musgrove and Berrios and all those guys. And I've, I've collected all those other guys. I just mentioned multiple times. And every time I had to choose one of those over, over Flaherty, I was choosing column B. Don't blame you at all on that one. Uh, in your backyard, Chris sale, um, he's got the, the rib injury. They're saying a couple months potentially, but I've, I've had mixed reviews. Like he's going to start throwing again in a couple of weeks, but then he might not throw for a couple months. You know, much better than me. Um, what's your thoughts on Sill, who went as low as 186 in the last couple of days? Yeah, I gotta stop taking victory laps because this is a place where I did. Oh, it. I have a lot of Chris Sale. Yeah, <laughs> I'm guilty. I, 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 I love the value here. on Chris Sale. Yeah. yeah, I was loving it. I was completely sucked in by the way the velocity had come back, like even in the postseason last year. You know, it seemed like every time he went on the mound last September, October, he was, you know, the results weren't always there. The command wasn't always there, but the velocity was going up every time. And it just like he was, seemed like he was getting stronger. And with a normal off season, I just really liked where he would be coming into this year. But, you know, you said the key words wasn't a normal off season, right? And they're being kind of cagey about whether Sale did something you know, quote unquote wrong and trying to get himself ready without team supervision. And, you know, he was throwing on the side and apparently did did this in a throwing session. Maybe he would have been, you know, it sounds like it happened pretty recently. Maybe he would have already been in camp in the second week of February and they would have, you know, had better eyes on him or he would have, you know, shut something down sooner. You know, that's all water under the bridge at this point. But yeah, I, multiple weeks before he even throws. And I think it's a, pretty safe bet that from the time he picks up a ball it's more than a month until he's actually back in boston making a start because you're talking about you know side sessions out to rehabs and three or four rehab starts remember the rehab last year he did you know they were being very careful because he was mm-hmm. coming back from tommy john but i think he you know he toured six different minor league ballparks or something like that yeah. it was like uh, it was like he was driving his family across the midwest while he was uh you know <laughs> touring the, <laughs> touring the ballparks of america at some point there but you know it's you know i would throw a you know over under a memorial day right now it sucks uh yeah because i'm with you i was big on i was drafting like as an sp2 in so many places yep. i loved like the strikeout appeal um i, I ever was like talking about the con uh the contacts last the contact rates last year and i'm like it's coming off tj everybody knows that like that's that's like a common trend but the velocity was what i loved much much more so big bummer big big bummer um it might be fun to get later, but I don't know if I can afford a, a draft pick on him yet. Maybe he falls into like the mid 200s and we can start thinking about things, but it's, it's tricky because, like you said, is before he even picks up a ball, he's going to ramp up again. It's, 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 it's dicey. Uh, let's talk Atlanta Braves here. They've made a few moves. This one might be minor. I just want to get your thoughts because Colin McHugh was a pretty good long man for the Rays last year at times. And with this Braves rotation that has outside of Freed and Morton, 
some very young arms that could have some innings issues. Does a guy like Colin McHugh bring any fantasy interest to you in, uh, in some leagues? Yeah, I'd want to see, and this goes, I'll talk about it with McHugh, but I guess it applies to a lot of people. I'd kind of want to see how the usage pattern pops in the first, you know, two weeks of the season. There's an opportunity there, like for, for exactly the reasons you say that, you know, and the usage pattern with McHugh in Tampa where he was very effective, so you would think they would keep it was you know every every third day kind of thing for multiple innings you know they weren't running he's not going to be an 80 appearance guy he's going to be a you know 55 appearance 90 innings sort of thing i would imagine and if you put that into a place where he's the second guy in after all the kids starters and don't forget that everybody i'm always mindful of the team that you know went to the world series and everybody kind of blew every innings limit last year right because they were trying to get a ring and they're gonna they're gonna try to take the foot off the gas on a bunch of these guys even morton who's coming back from injury maybe even freed you know let alone the kids you know there's a lot of opportunity for him to come in and get the last out of the fifth pitch the sixth and into the seventh and end up getting the win right if there's a short list of people I'm looking at who could be Brent Suter and get 12 wins in that role this year. McHugh's on my list for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, but again, want to see how they use him because they could also fall into, you know, he's so effective. They could also fall into a situation where they, they think that, you know, he's able to, you know, he's better used in the seventh and the eighth and he's not the guy who's picking up the, the vulture win in that scenario. And we're talking about the Rays here, who pitch usage and consistency of using pitch usage is a uh, uh, so 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 common with them. Like, who's their closer? Who's this guy? They mix things up all the time. I don't know. We're talking Atlanta. Right. Never mind. That was what's Tampa Bay. Atlanta might be a little more disciplined. Thank goodness. But um, I was trying but to find it. Open. Yeah, they do. And I was I was trying to um, find it. I couldn't find it. Jason Collette, when the move happened, I tweeted something, and he commented, and he's Mr. Ray, so he knows these yep. things. He, um, he mentioned something about uh, McHugh's usage last year. It was like 23 of 32 appearances or something were two to three innings each. Uh, he yep. had some pretty deep – it was some pretty interesting stats that really cleared things up. So, And the other thing, you mentioned the Brent Suter, who was tremendous, but I would love to like have some database that's probably impossible to find. Is how many times was he actually rostered when he got one of those wins? Because you know yeah. he probably wasn't very often. Like We all talk about it, but, but McHugh, I think the best usage for him is probably not a draft pick, but – He'll be one of those guys, especially like in NPC leagues, where you get those really, really sharp guys in 15-team leagues where it's like, well, the streaming options kind of suck this week. And so I'm going to go grab McHugh and hopefully, you know, Freedom Morton only have one star, but they have seven stars, so all the young kids are going. Like, let's give it a whirl. Um, that's my you – you're grasping at straws, but that's kind of my guess. I, I might take it a step further than that just because the – you know, what do you, one of the things you think about as you get closer to opening day, day is the schedule. And we're starting with that half week this year, right? Um, That's a good we, we Until the Sunday lineup. And, you know, every, you know, a lot of the smart players will grab an extra reliever in round True. 30 to be able to plop them in for those first four days, maybe sneak a vulture win while you're, you rostered eight or nine starters, but only four of them are starting that, that in that half week, right? So yeah. McHugh's a great guy to do that. And maybe because, you know, we have, you know, today was the first day of, you know, pitchers actually throwing in games. So it remains to be seen what kind of pitch counts we're looking at on starters for their first time or two through the rotation maybe you grab them grab a guy or two like this for the first four days and don't actually cut them for week two because you see that you're 
you know, your fifth starter either has a, not only does he not have a good matchup, but he's only stretched out to 75 pitches. At right. that point, it's kind of all downside. Hey, I'll leave McHugh in the lineup for a week and see what happens. And then, bang, you're 10 days in, he's got three wins, and you're like, I'm really on to something here, you know? Great point. Great point there. Uh, they made a couple other moves in the outfield. They signed Eddie Rosario, brought him back, which is a great move, I think. And then Alex Dickerson, former Giant, who's a decent platoon left-handed bat out there um, on a team as well. Uh, Eddie Rosario was one of the guys that uh, Toby and I were saying was kind of a, a deal in drafts and that ADP will climb. It's already climbed as high as 147 now since he's been uh, signed. Any love for uh, Eddie Rosario or Alex Dickerson in Atlanta? Yes, yeah, some. And I'm trying to figure out because I hadn't actually seen this confirmed yet. To me, sort of the big variable here. I mean, all these guys can play until Acuna comes back, right? Yes. Um, and then on top of that, though, what are we clear that Acuna can go back into center field? At least what the, uh, the the report that came out this afternoon from Anthropolis, he said the goal is by April 21st to have him DHing, by May 21st to have him in the outfield. Wow. He said that he said that could change, but that's the goal is May 21st for the outfield. So we're talking almost two months potentially of uh, Acuna DHing or not playing at all. Okay. So if we do that, then, I mean, there's no other real center fielder on this team. They were fooling around with Duvall in center field in the playoffs last year. Were they? Are they, are they really going to do that for two months? Or you know, be a bad move. You can't put Rosario out there. You, you can't, can't definitely can't put Azuna out there. You can't put Azuna out there. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 that, I point being that might yeah. be why Dickerson is here, right? Because yep. maybe he can do that, and if it's not him, it's Drew Waters, which is you know pretty bleak. So. uh you know, yeah, I'm interested in Dickerson, and based on what you're saying, I'm looking at our HQ depth chart right now. We've got him at 40% playing time. That's probably front-loaded while Acuna is out. Yep. I'll buy that. that. That's If that's you know 60 or 70% playing time in April and May, he's rosterable. Yep, definitely. And then if it changes, drop him. Very simple. Totally. Um, the Giants, uh, this move I was kind of torn on at first, but – after seeing what the Giants are doing for his brother with Down syndrome and other things, I'm all about this like this move. It's it's pure. And I saw like videos and pictures of him in camp today. I'm like, okay, I'm good. Jock jams in uh in, in San Francisco. As as annoying as the strikeouts can be at times and everything else, uh, it, it's fun. And to me, it's as simple as he fills the Alex Dickerson role for the Giants. Yep. That that's what I see. So if you rostered Dickerson at all for the Giants last year, is usually in certain weeks where he's going to Colorado or something. Otherwise, uh, I think that's pretty much what you can get from Jock Jams, unless you have more insight on that. No, it, it, I, I think that's about right. It, it, this also answered another question for me that I had there, which was I got some questions from our subscribers during the lockout because we had a pretty high playing time projection on Darren Ruff just yeah. because there was nobody else there because you know, we had moved Dickerson out. He wasn't coming back and we didn't, we didn't have anybody in the Pearson role. You know, rough, you know, did really well when he came back last year, you know, and in, in particular showed more skill against righties than he had ever had before he went to Japan. Right. So the question in my mind was, can they actually make him uh, you know, 70% playing time guy playing against both lefties and righties. 
Jock Jam's arriving basically answers that question as no. <laughs> so yeah, now, now that, we know. That was my argument all draft season. I was like, I, I try to keep my fandom out of things, but everyone's like, oh, Darren Ruff. I'm like, he's not playing every day, guys. Yeah. Like everyone kept trying to tell me, like, he's not. Like, I loved watching him. It was a great story. He's not playing every day. So, yeah. like, unless he can play for space, because they're not going to put him in the outfield every day, no matter how good he's hitting. Like, they're just not with that defense. That uh, is not going to happen. The Cubs, this is a move that has been very, at least in my little chat groups has been controversial they went and signed jonathan vr me and you can totally yeah. tell me i'm wrong huge fan of this as all the possible landing spots for a guy like vr is multi-positional a little bit of pop got the speed get him late in drafts all the things you look for from vr this works as a pretty good location if you have a different thought or you agree just tell me what your thoughts are in vr to the cubs yeah i'll mostly agree with you i think it makes a lot of sense um, I couldn't, when they first announced it, I couldn't quite figure out what they were trying to do with him because it doesn't make sense to block Madrigal or Horner and they just signed Simmons for shortstop. VR is not really a shortstop anymore anyway. Um, and But he can play the outfield. He can play third base. You know, the Cubs have guys at all those places mm-hmm. and they're guys they need to, you know, for the oh. most part, figure out what they have there. But they can do that accomplish all of those things and still have plenty of role for VR. And I mean, you know, VR is older now. Um, you know, he's not the same guy he was when he made me um, boatloads of money back in 2016, when he you know showed up in Milwaukee and stole 45 bases, That's but it was just, I mean, I, it's one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my, one of my random favorite years of all time. But you know, the, the thing about VR that I, you know, that this reminds me of is VR, you know, this is sort of a, I'm not much of an NBA fan, but there are um, comparisons to the NBA where there are guys who are really good on bad teams. Mm-hmm. VR is a fantastic bad team yeah. player. You know, he had, he had that monster year year or two in Milwaukee. He was good at Baltimore. Yep. You know, he, he, if you have a good team, you don't want him anywhere near you. But, nope. you know, if you're slogging through 67 and 95, you know, turn VR loose and he'll make good things happen. And, you know, there's that kind of potential here. I, at worst, like and I think he'll be better than this, but again, I'm biased. Maybe it is because I enjoyed that same summer with the Brewers you did, and I just can't get it out of my mind. Um, he could be the Dan, uh, the Matt Duffy on this team, and he played a ton last year, and sure. and that's very because like wisdom, they need to see what he's got. But we also know he strikes out a million times, right? And like, there's questions there. All it takes is one injury to anybody in the infield. He can play the outfield, so that's why I'm intrigued. I know, I, I, I see the pros and the cons, so we're pretty much on the same page there. Um, Rob D. Pietro wanted me to ask you. How did I get a Murphy to podcast on St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> you you invited me a month ago, and we yeah. we bat, we, bat, we batted around four dates and settled on here. Yeah. And oh, by the way, it's March. I'm not allowed out of my office anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, it's true. yeah Rob, just be glad you didn't go to the Mets. Okay, you're good. Um, Michael Givens. Now, this one kind of surprised me. Maybe I'm overthinking this, but Michael Givens signing with the Cubs again. The Cubs have question marks everywhere, and Hoyer was one guy they thought, or Hewer was one guy they thought would be the potential closer. He's obviously done for the season. You still have Rowan Wick, who's kind of been a good and bad at times pitcher. So there's question marks there, and Givens has shown even with the Reds as, as early as last year was pretty good in the back in the ball games. So, do you have any interest in maybe a late shot on him as a potential sneaky saves asset? I don't think so only because I like other guys more here. You know, I, I have a little bit of faith in Wick and my, my hobby horse here uh, because I listened to 
Doug Dennis from our staff, mm-hmm. our bullpen analyst. My my hobby horse here is Braylon Marquez anyway, um, okay. who, I, who I've got um, still above uh, Givens in the, in the pecking order. But that's not to say that, you know, yeah. spin, the, spin the wheel enough times here mm-hmm. and it doesn't land on Givens for a while. Obviously, you know, Givens has had stretches in his career when he's, you know, had the job and held it down. It is, it is interesting what the Cubs are doing here, though, because they seem like they're trying to put together a competent bullpen. Maybe this is all the... They're all trade chips. They're all trade trips, and they, they had they had to spend some money because of the uh, yep. you know the minimums in the CBA and all of that with the revenue yep. sharing. And so uh, you know they decided to sign some stuff that they might be able to turn into uh, draft picks on July, you know, future prospects on July thirty first, I suppose. Yep, pretty much. Um, same question could be just overthinking things, but like Andrew Chafin, we saw great in the back of the Cubs pin, pretty good in the back of the A's pin, goes to Detroit, and you know everyone's anointing Soto, and I have a lot of Soto shares, so I'm kind of hoping it's Soto, but there's concerns with Soto. He throws pitches like 50 cents sometime when he's throwing them out there, mm-hmm. so it's like you could see a, an avenue where Chafin could kind of usurp him in this situation. Is there any interest in a guy like Chafin? Yeah, I'm somewhat interested here. Like you said, Soto is a box of chocolates, shall we say? Um, I've kind of, I'm high, I'm fairly high on Fulmer, I think. And one of the things, I've made this point in a couple of places this winter, but one of the things I'm watching with this team in particular is the, um, I don't think I've seen this confirmed yet, but the news that came out the other day that the ghost runner might be coming back after all, um, yeah. which affects how bullpens get used. And I have this, I had this recurring thing where I, I kept seeing last year that it really seemed to me like when Fulmer was healthy, Hinch wanted him to be his 10th inning guy. Yeah. And I think, you know, better stuff than Soto, you know, might be able to blow people away with the runner on second, et cetera, but also had more confidence in him for multi-inning roles. He could come in and get the last out of the 10th or a good pitch of the 10th and the 11th if he needed to. But if that ghost runner comes back, I get more interested in Fulmer because he's got more paths to value there because I saw how he got used there and either Soto melts down and Chafin or Fulmer might actually work their way into saves, or he could be another Brent Suter candidate for the 12 True. wins. True. I do like the Fulmer talk up there, though. Definitely agree with you there. He was a yeah, a heavy DC target at times, because I could see a lot of avenues for him being some fantasy yep. value. Um, there was a trade, uh, another trade. It could be totally minor, no pun intended here. But Mike Miner goes to the Reds. Amir Garrett goes to Kansas City. Miner's going to get his innings regardless, if you like him or not. I'm not the biggest Miner fan, but I get it. The main question, at least for me, is similar to the last two we just had. Now you got Garrett there. Everyone loves Barlow. I like Stalmont to get another chance personally. But we know Garrett's pretty lethal too. So is there any interest in uh, either either Miner or Garrett from a fantasy standpoint? Yeah, I'll throw Dylan Coleman into the hopper too, who, yeah. I, who I also like there. But I, And I guess that kind of makes the point. Is you've got Barlow, you've got Stalmont, you've got Coleman now you've got Garrett you give him so now you've got a lefty to work with in that mix and you know if there's one thing we know about Mike Matheny's sort of 2.0 managerial career here is that he's not going to stick with one guy um you know he, he might ride Barlow for a few weeks he rode Barlow for the second half last year but that was mostly because the other options were you know not effective at the time and you know if you gave me the over under on four or five saves for Garrett this year, just situationally, I'll probably take the over. Doesn't mean I think it's going to be more than seven, but yeah. you know, I, I, I think there's every opportunity that, you know, they use 
Barlow in a situation where they want him and Garrett comes in behind him again, throw the ghost runner into this. That's a whole other wrinkle. Um, You know, but but this is, it's a pretty good bullpen and it's managed pretty creatively. So I, you know, there are many possibilities. Yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, Corey Dickerson to the Cardinals. Seems like a minor move, but again, it could clog up things. Lars Newtbar might be a thing of the past. Again, um, any fantasy impacts from Dickerson to St. Louis? I guess I get a little worried here that the ripple effects here go to the DH spot, and you know, so much of the chatter we've heard, so much of the chatter we've heard this winter about this is how Nolan Gorman gets his at bats. That you know, now if Nolan Gorman has a rough couple of weeks to start the year, if he is in fact the DH, that you know, they have a quote unquote professional left-handed hitter who can step in and and fill and fill that role the defense is so good in the outfield that i feel like they're not gonna you know i I don't feel like he's gonna steal you know starting outfield at bats from any from any of the incumbents but certainly you know left-handed hitting fourth outfield dh you could probably even fake first base if they ever needed somebody to with goldschmidt he'll find you know he'll he'll find his at bats here you can see why you know if he had multiple offers this is where he settled our at bat projection right now is 317 at bats, which is, you know, a pretty typical Corey Dickerson year, right? Yeah, definitely is. And that uh, might not be draftable, but definitely streamable at times yep. during the season because there'll be some prime matchups with like not many lefties on the week or something. And uh, we know what he can do. He can he can get in grooves. So he, he becomes quite interesting once we see kind of the usage that he puts out there. A couple of just – just food for thought things. So with the A's and the Reds trading everybody, and there might be more to come by the time this drops tomorrow, like there might be more trades. That's just like Montas and Manaya are getting shopped pretty heavily, like right now. And there could be like I still think Sean Murphy could even like if you have a pulse and more than a couple million dollars on your books, here's a chance you could be going. That's just the way it is. So when you look at their roster, like you got the Tony Kemp's, the Seth Browns, who's kind of interesting to me. Um, Eric Thames might even get some run now, like uh Elvis Andrews is Elvis Andrews, but he's going to play every day. Is there anybody on this A's team that they're all pretty much draft day values now that is of interest to you? Because it's the old running joke that many of us have said is even bad teams produce fantasy value. Like that's just the way it is. So any thoughts on any of these guys that might stand out to you now with increased or locked in playing time? Yeah, you hit on my favorite one already, which is Brown. I've been um, collect. He's a he's a guy I've been collecting a ton of in DC. He's just kind of kind of saw this coming, and he's versatile enough that he can yeah you know, between DH first base and faking a corner outfield that you figured that as the uh, fire sale happened that there are paths to playing time for him, and they seem to be uh, they seem to have opened up at this point. It's not like this organization has any interest in, you know, resigning Mitch Moreland or anything like that at this point, right? They've got Eric Thames here and, you know, that, that helps a little bit at first base, but there's still plenty of room for Brown. And, you know, it's not just an opportunity thing with Brown. There's actually some skill there too. We've, you know, he's, he's displayed some uh, power skill. Uh, The other thing we got to do is keep an eye on, who arrives on this roster, right? Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of jobs are still open and we're making some assumptions. Like I, I for lack of an alternative, our depth charts say that Kevin Smith, who they just yep. got from the Jays is the, like the third baseman right now. I mean, that's, that's today's reality. It may not be tomorrow's reality. I, I, <clears throat> 
I think I made a joke with uh, Patrick this afternoon, like I was saying on the other uh, on our show that you know maybe Jonathan VR signs here. Well, VR went to the Cubs. A little bit of good fit, but yeah. there are you know there there are other guys like that around, sure. and you know some of them are going to show up here. Some of them are going to come back in the trades for Manaya mm-hmm. and Montas. Uh, they did just pick up Billy McKinney, who you know was kind of you know got pressed yeah. into service with the Mets. Yeah, you know, when everybody uh, on the Mets was injured last last April and May, and yeah, he had a buck ninety two, but he hit nine home runs and two hundred sixty at bats, and you give him a little uh, a little bad of correction there, and there you know there's some life in that bat. He could you know he could get three hundred at bats here if uh, you know d- depending on who they bring back in, and there are more guys coming. I think you know this is one of these places where you want to keep an eye on how this roster changes because there might be a. Uh, waiver claim or something like that on the Friday night before your Saturday draft that sort of tells you who the who the third baseman is and it might be somebody you care about yeah it might be because if it is Kevin Smith like I started looking at him you know 21 homers 18 stolen bases last year in AAA locked over 11 percent of the time sure it's AAA and everything but that's still pretty impressive he's had power speed pretty much throughout the minors so it'd be interesting it'd be interesting to see if he got uh, some healthy run there to see how that would play out. And uh, we don't need to go into the pitching, but if some people pay attention with the trades already, Dalton Jeffries and Paul Blackburn into the rotation, there could be many more to take place there, but uh, those might be more streamable options than actual draft day picks. But I want to go to Cincinnati now where it gets fun because you still have India there, Naquin, Votto, Stevenson, Moose, where they just brought in Colin Moran. You have Jake Fraley. They're saying Nixon Zell's healthy. Don't forget Shogo Akiyama and Aristos Aquino are still around. Uh, flashes from the past. Uh, any interest there from the non like main guys of like Vado and in India? I, I've had what can really only be described as a fetish for Jake Fraley for the last couple of years. Like anytime he got looked like he was about to get two weeks of run in Seattle, I was fabbing him, fabbing him everywhere. And, you know, it's just, you know, it, it just drips power and speed and a batting average. It might, might start with a one, right. But, <laughs> but you know, so, so like, true. So true. but it's just, it's super interesting. And Hey, in this ballpark, anybody who's going to play, you sort of got to take semi seriously. So um, I would love nothing more than to see Fraley get 350 at bats here. And he'd probably go 2020. Uh, you got Tyler Naquin though. I want to just ask you ADP of 319 as high as 262 in March, potentially going to hit cleanup in this team or third. Does he uh, move up any draft boards for you? Or is it just like it's still Tyler Naquin? And he was he had a good run last year, but it's Tyler Naquin. He did have a good run. It's, it's interesting. And, you know, one of the things about this team is going to be, like you said, you rattled through the lineup. They're still going to score some runs as long mm-hmm. as Vado and Idia there. At least the top of the lineup is going to be representative. It's like the, it's like the Cleveland Guardians from last year. Yeah. Top heavy. Yeah, totally. You've got plenty of run out of uh, you know R- Rosario at the time and Ramirez yeah. and uh, Framel and Framel. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And you know even and even um, you know Miles Straw. You know yep. popping up there in the second half of the year. It's there's there's room. That's a great comp. There's room for that kind of productivity out of at least the top half of this lineup. And Stevenson's probably going to bat like four or five. Yep. You know he. I, you know, I don't think he's impacted by this much. You know he's still going to get going to get plenty of run and he's still pretty interesting to me so they'll score some runs but they'll they'll give them up bunches too yeah defense will still be very bad folks very very bad um got a couple listener questions for you here and then we'll uh, wrap but we have um tim emmel he asks how does matt chapman's move to third base and uh how does it affect him overall for the trade we talked about that so we're good we got we got matt chapman out of the way here so tim we got you 
Uh, Simon P.S., how do you see or who do you see in the Yankees rotation now that Herman is out of the way as like the number four and fives? Because he's out until at least looks like mid to end of May. Yeah, that was a 60-day DL, right? So, yep. And then, you know, the, the there are so many, you know, they have the one horse and coal. And after that, you know, durability question marks with everybody, with everybody Montgomery, Tyone, Severino looks like he might be on track, but, you know, there are certainly some more hurdles to clear there. Cortez is, I've sort of thought of him as a smoke and mirrors guy, but he's going to get an opportunity to prove that right or wrong. And after that, I mean, Davey Garcia just disappeared last year, but yeah. we, we might see him at some point and, you know, Clark Schmidt and Michael King. And then don't forget the, Luis you Luis Hill for sure, and then you know this is a the Yankees are not shy about the opener either, no. and they could run nope. they could run Chad Green out there for two innings and take bullpen days whenever they want as well, and mm-hmm. you know with thirteen pitchers on your team, you can get away with doing that for stretches at a time, especially if you line it up so that you have your bullpen day and then Garrett Cole the next day for seven and two thirds is uh, you know you can make that work. And I hate to break it to people. I wouldn't be shocked if somehow Luke Voigt's wearing gold and green pretty soon and yeah. Montas or Manaya is in Oakland. I mean, yeah. in New York. Just yeah, throwing that, that one out there real quickly. So That um, makes all the sense in the world. The Yankees could make a few more moves still, unfortunately. Uh, that's just the, the rough facts of the situation. Uh, James D. in the chat asks, is Advert Alzale coming back this year? Uh, it doesn't sound good. He will, but it doesn't sound good. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I've got him on a dynasty league, and I just moved him to my IL, and I think he's going to be there until August or something like that. Yeah, they're saying like minimum two to three months, but it's a lat deal that does not sound good. And I uh, didn't want to look at my roster share percentage on that because he was one of my favorite late round like yeah. upside breakout guys. And that stings. Yep, that was a rough one, but uh, it is what it is. Then the breaks are drafting early. That happens. But um, Ray, we're going to wrap it up there, my friend. Uh, this was a, a great time, and uh, before we leave. Once again, plug everything at Baseball HQ and let them know like where they can find you and what's going on. Sure. You can uh, easiest place to find me is at Ray HQ on Twitter. And from there, I will direct you to all, all of my content on Baseball HQ. Uh, I have my annual straight draft guide, which is a massive opus of not only my own sort of draft state of mind with ranking lists derived from our projections, but also one of the things I do, which I think is really important this year, is I also hyperlink the crap out of it and uh, have put all of the, what I call the required reading, all sort of the best of HQ from, you know, this this entire offseason linked in one place so that if you were one of the people who got too fed up and, you know, stuck your head under a rock during the walkout and then woke up last week and were like, oh no, I'm drafting four baseball teams. What do I do? Hey, this is where you got to go. I've got every, I've got it all teed up for you. That's on, uh, that, that's up on Baseball HQ on Friday this week, and uh, I'll be cranking out uh, more articles the rest of the month, a couple of draft recaps and what have you, and the rest of the team at HQ is, as we said at the top of the show, is, uh, you know, gone from, uh, you know, not on, we weren't on hiatus, but we were sort of in uh, in stasis. Yeah, slow playing it, and we've uh, now put the pedal to the metal, and we are, uh, we have found mid-season form in the span of eight days, so it's uh, it's good times. I got one more question for you as Rob DiPietro dropped one as you were talking here. He said some teams like Baltimore, Cleveland, and St. Louis are mentioning stretching out some relievers into starters. How does this impact speculating on some fringe starters for you? 
Yeah, you know, one of the we talked about the Ghost Runner a little bit, but the one of the other rules that I think we're still waiting to hear about is whether we're going to get expanded rosters for April, right? And I think we probably are, and I think that probably is in play with what's happening happening here. I, you know, Rob mentioned Baltimore, and I, I know the one example that we saw is Ty Wells, who we thought was in the closer mix, is now being stretched out as a, you know, multi-inning guy of role to be determined, and you know, other teams doing the same thing. And again, I think that goes back to with. 14 pitchers on your roster for April you can afford to play games and you don't have to have your you know 10th or 11th best guy on your staff throwing five innings and as a starter every five days you can get away from that and we're gonna see more teams acting like the Rays for as long as they can get away with it and maybe that'll just help them either manage it manage innings limits or maybe figure out that some guys are really good in this role and come May when the roster's reduced maybe we'll see a couple of combinations of piggyback starters where you know your fifth starter is actually two guys going three innings each mm-hmm. you know I I don't know but I think there's been uh, room for those kind of things to get tried out more in, um, you, you know, in some corners of the league. And we're going to see some of that uh, in April. And I'll be very curious to see whether it drifts into May. Definitely. And that's what's so fun. It's like we've, we, you said we switched from lockout to full bore. We still have so many questions, and, and we don't have, and we have like no time to answer them. Basically. That's the thing. Like the, the the fire hose is going so fast, yeah. and you know the information is coming faster than we can process it. Which you know, yeah. is, in some ways, is a great way, a great mode to have to be in because it's uh, you know a, a truer test of something. It's not. It, this is not one of those situations where everybody is uh, singing for the same hymnal and practicing the same strategies. There's uh, plenty of room for variance and for people to catch things that other people missed. No doubt about it. But on that note, we will wrap things up. Ray, I appreciate it. Long overdue. Thanks for joining me. We'll, we will definitely do this sooner than later next time. I would love to be back anytime you want to have me. All right, everybody. Again, go check out BaseballHQ.com. Go check out Ray Murphy on Twitter at RayHQ. This was Benched with Bubba, episode 451. We'll catch you guys next time. better with a home policy from American Family Insurance because you'll feel protected no matter how the wind blows. Also, you can keep enjoying the home of your dreams. And our expert agents can help you save up to 23% when you bundle home with auto. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.